This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What is going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. We've got some buddies with us today. We've got Jeff Johnson with Episynergy and our good buddy Paul Nick with South Texas Financial Group. Another devil dog. It's going to How you guys doing today? Doing awesome. Well. Good, good, good. So it's a fun episode. Paul, you've been a friend of ours for quite a while now. Yeah. Man, I think you were at our original happy hours. Yeah. A year ago. I think we, we met at WeWork. We met at the Bosley Hair Group, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, y'all don't need that yet. <laughs> yeah. I remember Paul being there at, at the, the old work yeah, gallery, yeah, the, yeah. Hours, the original one. Those were, so, those were yeah. pretty lit. Yeah, those are the OG ones. Yeah. I know you guys are all into MMA and stuff, so I figured I'd just shave my head and look like I know what I'm doing <laughs> with MMA, right? And have a little intimidation. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, got a really cool episode here. Jeff is with Epis Global Energy. You guys mm-hmm. are in the saltwater disposal business. Paul, you actually introduced us. Paul runs funds for investors and gets them into different types of assets, saltwater disposals being one of those. So kind of how we'll connect this story between you two. But Jeff, let's start out talking about what you guys are doing at a high level. Yeah, sure. We're up in the Anadarko Basin, primarily the stack scoop and transporting and disposing water, both produced water and flowback water. And that's a good business because that stuff's expensive. It, <laughs> do you own any oil wells? Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Your two biggest expenses are usually we're getting rid of water and electricity. Let me make a correction. We own some water wells that put out a little bit of oil. <laughs> right. Yeah. They, you know, I like this topic that we're talking about. And actually, Jeff and I, before we started recording, we walked over to the kitchen to grab some water. And I asked him if he knew Kurt. And he's like, yeah, just had lunch with him two days ago. And I was like, man, every, everyone knows Kurt in the saltwater disposal Everybody business. knows Kurt. Kurt was actually, we had him on in one of our earlier episodes and really got us excited about saltwater disposal because it seems like a really unsexy business. But what is sexy is cash the, flow, the cash flow that <laughs> can be boring yeah, and predictable. Yeah. But I mean, just the amount of, I, I can't, I can't cite the statistics off the top of my head, but the water that's supposed to come out of the Permian Basin over the next five years, it's just astronomical. So for our listeners who don't, who don't know, you have, a, you have an oil well, as the life of the well progresses, you're producing more and more water typically. And like Jeff said, this is going to be one of your base, biggest expenses. So this has to either be hauled off and then injected or just injected into a saltwater disposal like what we have on one of our leases. Jeff, did I leave anything mm-hmm. out? Well, you, that's exactly right. Or you can treat it, reprocess it. That's mm-hmm. that's probably, I won't say, that's where the industry's going. We're probably a number of years out. Mm-hmm. But I kind of liken it to natural gas. Probably back in the 70s, it was really more of a pain in the neck than anything because we didn't have infrastructure in place to move it. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I believe you're going to have this water being connected via pipe, being reused, but we're, we're still quite a few years away from that. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I'm pretty forward thinking. So I, I tend to think that we'll, you know, someone's going to figure out how we recycle, produce water, you know, to yep. use in fracking applications, drilling. But I think we that, can do it now. It's just extremely expensive to do and it. I right? think that we do it on a large commercial scale. That's right. And it's, but, but for it to trickle down for the average operator, it's going to be a few years out because it, yeah. it's a massive capital investment. Absolutely. But they're getting there. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm interested in this because I want to, I want to invest in saltwater disposal facilities. So really interested to learn some today, but before we dive into it, let's talk about you guys personally. We can start off with Jeff. Jeff, 
tell us about your background. You know, how, how did you get up to this point? What's your, your career in the oil and gas business? You can go as detailed as you want or keep it as general as you want, and then we'll uh, get into Paul's. Well, I was born in Jacksonville, Arkansas. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I grew up out in Lubbock, came over to Dallas in 1988, and was a stockbroker briefly. I uh, was disenfranchised with that. And so don't know how I heard about us through a friend. Chesapeake had just formed. Tom and Aubrey had just formed Chesapeake in 1989. So they were looking for people to raise money for them. For South Texas, then it was the Austin Chalk, you know, the horizontal when it got started going. Mm-hmm. So and from 89 to 93, we structured deals and raised capital from high net worth individuals, family offices. They went public in 93, and I went and started my own company. Took a handful of those investors, and I went over to what is now the Barnett Shell, but we were drilling on top of it into a more shallow f- formation and had some luck there. After we lost, first of all, we lost about three million bucks in Louisiana right off the bat. So I said, we're leaving Louisiana. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and, let's, let's, let's talk about this. How, how, how'd you lose $3 million? Because this is great. Like two, two bad wells. Yeah. Two bad wells. And that, that's what, that's what a lot of people don't understand about the exploration business is that you could have 30, you know, decent wells, but you have two bad ones and they can just change everything. Mm-hmm. Oh Yeah. Yeah, I bet you over my career, we've owned probably 3,500 wells, probably drilled a 1,000 of them. Wow. Didn't make very much money on very many of them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a handful you do. Yeah. So that tense why I'm in the water business now. <laughs> and we, we can get into that later. I just so, made a comment before we started recording. So yeah, we own some stripper wells in Oklahoma, but fuck oil wells. I'm in the water business. That's where the money's at. I'm making more oil off my disposal well than I ever did in oil <laughs> well. My skim oil? Yeah. We are. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I believe it. I just wish we could. Having a well well this good. <laughs> right. So we saw the downturn. So anyway, let's back up. So in 93, did a small private deal and mostly friends and family. In 98, we got an unsolicited offer from Bob Simpson to buy everything. He was out in Parker County buying land, buying minerals, and we just happened to have 32 wells on what he bought. So he said, we want it. And he gave us a number. We said, you got it. <laughs> and it was a name sounds familiar. Who was he with? Yeah. So he started Cross Timbers and then okay. that became XTO. Oh, and he was chairman okay. and CEO when they sold Taxon. Okay. I think one of the most successful, if not the most successful, independent oil company out there. They mm-hmm. just did a great job over at XTO, all those guys. Yeah, um, absolutely. So in, in 99, for those of you that weren't in the business, it was brutal. We had some oil production in Illinois. We had sold off the gas assets out in Parker County, and we actually got two revenue runs. We received from the purchaser $7.75 a barrel. That's bad. When it costs you ten and you're getting seven seventy five, you, you don't make deficit. it up in volume. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You're losing two or three bucks every time you produce a barrel. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got sucked into the Matt Simmons Boom Pickens camp. The cheap oil it pretty soon is over, and so we want to make a long bet on oil. And I kind of bring that up because I kind of, from my view, that's where we are kind of now in the water industry. I think we got a lot of upside in it, and if you can get in now, control assets, I think you can probably sell into a pretty good market down the road. So back in 03, we were out pitching, going to Wall Street, seeing the usual guys. And I actually had, in 2002, we were at about 18 bucks. And I actually had an iBanker analyst who was probably all 25 years old. He said, what makes you think we'll ever see $20 oil again? I said, okay. So we go to the next meeting. The next guy says, we're not buying oil right now. It's too cheap. So well, when do you want to buy it? You know, it's just the market mentality. Everybody says buy low, sell high, but it's hard to get 
people to do that, believe it or not. <laughs> you know, they hold on till it goes down, then they sell and they complain. It's a lot easier said than done. For it some is. Of these That's guys. a typical investor anyway yeah. than anything, right? Yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. They always sell at the wrong time and buy at the wrong time. Yep. So. so we, to make the long bet, we just wanted to go buy as much as fast as we could. And so we finally found a group out of Europe that said, yeah, well, we'll we like the idea. We'll give you some money. And I wanted to get into the public markets because at that time, the cost of capital, you know, was pretty good. So we got into the public markets and we we're on the American Stock Exchange in 05, then went to the New York and built it to about a $650 million enterprise value from about 04 to 08. Which company was this? This was Kano Energy. Kano Energy. Became Kano Petroleum. Okay. CFW was the ticker. And when oil prices go from 20 to 140, everybody looks smart, by the way. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So for what we did... And do we wanted to guess right on the markets? You know, we want to go up and down with the tide. We're never going to pick the bottom or the top. I'm not anyway. So as long as we can get in somewhere around the you know bottom twenty percent and get out somewhere in the top twenty percent, we're good with that. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, just execute and don't make too many mistakes. And if you do, don't make them twice. So that's kind of what we do. In any event, we had. I'm going to mention this because we're not taking any debt. I owed a hundred million dollars of debt in two thousand and eight. Whenever we saw prices go from 148 to 32. That sounds like the bank's problem. <laughs> it was. It, well, the, the, the good news of that is $100 million may sound like a lot, but it's not. And so when you have Chesapeake that owes the same bank in California, when they owe them $2 billion, and other people owe them $2 billion, man, we just go sit down and say, man, just stick with us. We'll, we'll make it. Yeah. Okay, just get out of my hair, you know. So, <laughs> so we survived that. And the company had grown. I'm an entrepreneur. This is my fourth startup, I guess. And I'm a build-to-sell guy. Mm-hmm. And that company got to the point where it went from literally two guys on the board and four employees to 175 employees and a corporate board. And it's, it was time for me to go. And this was 2010. Yeah, December 2010. I went and did some consulting. Prices jumped. It was a V-shaped curve. You know, they jumped right back up to 100 bucks by 2011. Saying, so, okay, we're going to wait for a correction and get in it. But this time we're doing water. We were water flood company, tertiary oil company. So we managed a lot of water at Kano. And I remember it wasn't even a line item on the balance sheet that we'd be going through our quarterlies looking at production. You know, it was doing okay. But this little bitty line item that we didn't even have on the balance sheet would be hauling water for some of our competitors, disposing of it, making 30, 40% margins. Yeah. I said, why are we drilling oil wells? (laughs) You know, and that was private. Of course, we didn't say that to the market. So that I'll never forget that. And then, of course, our biggest bill, the two biggest bills we always have in that is electricity and water, mm-hmm. getting rid of water. So 2012, we still had $100 oil. 2013, it's 100 2014, it's 100 I go, man, I missed it. Is this thing ever going to correct or not? And finally, it did. Started to in 15. 16, it got down to $26 in January of 16. And so we formed the company about mid-16 and spent about 12 months. Okay, how are we going to? How are we going to fund this? Do we want to see our private equity guys? No. Don't want to go to the public markets? No. And the Reg D506, the exemption is what we can do. We can advertise, take accredited investors only. But that helped. That helped. That's one thing in the Jobs Act that Obama passed that that was helpful, you know, for small guys trying to raise money. Mm -hmm. So we set that up, got our first fund done, and we wanted to get in the market, in the water market, somewhere other than the Permian, and here's why. The Permian's great. I mean, it's the gold standard. The buried entry was, was pretty high. Mm-hmm. We felt we may have been a little late to the game. So to get a foundation, let's try to find an up-and-coming play that is not real saturated yet. Then as we 
kind of get our sea legs, we might go look at the Permian or Eagle for some other things. That was a stack scoop. I mean, you know, that's Continental's done a good job. Harold Ham went up there and really was the pioneer of that in 14 and 15. And they say they can make money at $30 a barrel. I don't know if they can or not. They say they can. <laughs> and they actually had the recount grow in 2015. And I think, I believe this is right. I believe every other basin, you, you saw the rig count decline. Mm-hmm. So we got up there and got bought into a trucking company and we wanted to get market share, you know, by transportation. And as soon as we did that, then we went and got our first disposal well down last year and our second disposal well down. And we just finished up our third one. And it's, uh, you know, so far so good. It's boring, but it's predictable. I like boring and predictable. Actually, the guy that we bought our wells from in Oklahoma has a SWD business and water hauling, and he had a whole portfolio of wells that he was selling. We just took three of them, but he's like, man, he's like one out of the oil business. He's like, it's so much more predictable to run my saltwater disposal what business. They, it's more they, traditional. He, I mean, they did pretty well, and then they had what, like, I think it was partially the downturn, but then they had like what, like two dry holes, and they it, just it, did them in. It's one of one of those yeah. stories. You know, had had a portfolio of, you know, 30, 40 wells, had two bad ones in the bunch that just completely, you know, it's like, man, we, we built up this portfolio over the last few years and you get two bad ones and all of a sudden all that's negated. Oh, yeah. And so he's like, my, my SWD business is so much more predictable, traditional business. So he sold out and wanted to focus on that. Well, even like when you're raising capital too, you know, the story that you're going to tell the investor, you know, they, they want to negate risk as much as possible, right? Mm-hmm. And so even the... The tax deduction is appealing when you're drilling wells, but if you have the deduction available as well as cash flow on a consistent basis like that, it's hard to, to beat that for um, Absolutely. an investor Absolutely. from an investor standpoint. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oil and gas, you know, upstream assets are very high risk, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, try to take some of these institutional investors that maybe focus on commercial real estate or some more, you know, risk adverse investments that cash flow, it's a lot easier to sell them on a saltwater disposal midstream oh, play yeah. than it is some high-risk venture in oil and gas. Absolutely. You, dr- you drill a well, you're not guaranteed oil. You drill a saltwater disposal, you're pretty much guaranteed you're going to dispose of some water. <laughs> I've, I've, I've drilled a lot of oil wells where I was guaranteed a lot of water, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, that's just the nature of the beast. For Absolutely. every barrel of oil you produce, you're going to produce several barrels of water. Yep. Absolutely. As long as that thing pays and even. And I think you're going to be seeing, this is, kind of getting off topic, but I think you're going to see, you know, a lot of M&A and some BKs coming up Mm -hmm. uh, pretty soon. Yeah. And the good news is they still got to pay the water bill. Yeah. They got to shut in production. Mm -hmm. You shut in production for a certain amount of time, you lose the asset. Yeah. So whether the bank has it, the debtors have it, or the original equity guys have it, they've got to pay the water bill. Yeah. That's That's what I like to see. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And if you don't take debt, which that's in our documents, we will not take debt. Because there will be not when, not if, but when we see prices go back down, drilling dries up, we don't have to be reactive to a bank. Mm-hmm. We can be proactive and go look for guys that borrow money on disposal wells. Scoop up cheap assets. Up, yeah. Yeah. Because it, because they are pretty financeable. Mm-hmm. You know, they're predictable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we, we don't use any debt. Very interesting. So let me uh, ask you a question. Let's have a well, hold, on, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Before we get too deep into this, let's get into Paul's story real quick. Get his background. Okay, Paul. Well, I guess we can, I guess I we can a, stop. I have, a million, I have a million questions I want to ask on this. Paul's head's center. over there shining at me. <laughs> Mine's not. <laughs> Mine's over there. I'm going to check my reflection. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, man. You, you've, got a, you've got a cool story, too, because you come from the Marine Corps, and 
all we know about you is like, man, yeah, he just, he just opens up. This guy's up. always he, showing up. He's, he's just always showing up, man, <laughs> opening up funds, getting investors into different things. So really unique. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So, so Paul joined the Marine Corps in World War II. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, really? <laughs> I'll listen man. to him, man. No, I joined in 1988. Man. Honestly, yeah. you only look about a year older than us, <laughs> to be honest with you. I wonder if I said 88, man. Yeah. That's, that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I just turned fifty last month. Damn, you're doing this whole this Benjamin Button reverse aging thing. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be your diet and workouts or something. Uh, I'm sure that helps, but I'm I guess I got some genes somewhere along the line. Yeah. But, uh, yeah so my my story, you know, grew up in Houston, went to Memorial High School, and my dad was in the financial services industry. So he he had a big agency that with a brokerage, and they did you know pension planning, uh, they did insurance, retirement planning. He had a full brokerage, so they, they had that piece when Glass-Steagall Act was repealed in 93, and everybody started doing everything. That's when I got into the business after the Marines. And then I actually hated the business, and I got out and went into corporate America for about eight years in sales, working for Thomson Reuters. So we sold information to financial institutions and law firms for them, you know, basically data company. Yeah. And, but I knew this business really well just because I grew up in it, and my dad, so... When we had a merger take place and they changed our comp in corporate America, I had to to make a move because I had a, a lifestyle that there, nobody was going to pay me what I was making before. So I had to, to, to get out there. And so I started South Texas Financial Group in 2008, basically doing, bringing on clients as retirement clients. Don't do anything in the stock market. It's, you know, today people can, there's so many platforms to do that. Mm -hmm. They don't need a guy, right? And it's all turning computerized anyways. So what my clients have looked to me for is alternatives, right? Hey, I can do the stock market. Find me something that, you know, is different that, mm -hmm. that I'm going to like, right? So, so we've done different types of alternatives for our clients. We've had returns ranging from, you know, negatives to, you know, 120%. Mm -hmm. And so when over the last, in 2014, I've partnered up with a startup oil company out of Dallas help them get off the ground with some other guys. They've since, I think they're about 400 million in raised capital. They've been purchasing all kinds of stuff, production out the Permian and stuff. Nice. And so it was, I was kind of, kind of veering off from those guys and looking for some new alternatives. I've got another fund where we do private loans to, to small businesses mm -hmm. at high interest rate, short-term money that does real well. But what I was really looking for was that tax deduction again. And so, and I know Jeff will talk a little bit about this, but if we can get investors a return and a tax deduction, if we can offset income, things like that. Yeah, who was it? So the quote, it's not about how much you make, it's about how much you keep. How much you, know, you keep. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's about getting the tax deduction. <laughs> yeah. So, Right, exactly. And so, you know, I have a, a client, successful guy that was worked overseas. I had mentioned that to you briefly, but a few years ago, he had needed to move some money over to America. It's about half a million. And we were able to offset that tax bill by getting into some oil wells, right? So now he's gotten another payout and we're getting ready to do the water deal too. So awesome. Um, but this, you know, I've owned oil wells. I've been in, in that. So I see the the expense and it's been something in the back of my head. Every time you get your statement, you're like, that's probably where I should be putting money, right? <laughs> or I want to be in that business that's, you know, trucking water and you don't have to worry about hitting oil when you drill that well, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's nice when you don't, you can be on the other side of the water bill and like, <laughs> love that that well's doing 200 barrels of water a day. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of where we are today. So I have about 400 clients that right now we take on about 30 to 40 a year, higher net worth 
type clients typically. We're doing different planning and tax strategies for them. So very cool. You yep. know, waters is one, but we have other stuff that for business people that they can take advantage of too. So yeah, that's something that I'm really interested in getting in over the next several years is investing into SWDs. I mean, it's just the writings on the wall, right? If you Absolutely. look at it from a macro perspective, that that's where the money's going to be. So hey, I got a question. Yeah. We're talking about how good he looks. I look pretty good for 75, don't I? Damn, you do. Yeah. 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 54 is the problem. I'm just, just going to throw compliments out all day. You guys are looking good, man. Looking in good shape. So. Yeah, I do. No, seriously, I want to thank you two guys. I know that Jake also was in the Marine Corps. So thank you yeah, guys very much yeah, appreciate for it. serving. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, Jeff, you guys started out your, your company by acquiring a transportation company. You know, what, what was the thinking or rationale behind that why did you guys go that route instead of raising funds for swd facility good question we wanted to get market share and a lot of people i shouldn't say a lot of people what i didn't want to do was go out and drill a disposal well and have no way to get water there and you can get beat up on pricing that way Mm -hmm. so we approached it our thinking was is if we can go capture the water capture the market then we can somewhat control the destiny of our own disposal wells Mm mm-hmm and by doing that, it is also very helpful in getting contracts with some of the bigger customers. For example, we just got into a five-year deal with Continental. Mm-hmm. And the main reason we got it, well, I shouldn't, I don't know exactly why, but I'm highly confident it's because we had our own trucks. Yeah. I'm highly confident so that, you know, we can and probably fill a, that void. Probably allows you guys to package together some deals, you know, if you're vertically integrated where you have mm-hmm. the transportation and the facilities to where you can probably... I mean, I assume give them a, a better deal than they would having separate third-party vendors. Mm-hmm. You can do that. And as we continue to grow, we'll probably look at getting out of the trucking as much mm-hmm. as we get other third-party vendors in, as we lay pipelines like we're piping water right now. And so that's the best way to move it. It's the cheapest way to move it. Do you guys have a hard time on the transportation side? So a story a lot of people don't know is I started a water hauling company when I was 21. Okay. This is nine years ago. <laughs> And I started out by, my buddy had a water hauling company. And so I had a client until I got my own trucks. I was just renting his out third party, you know, putting a little bit of a premium on it. Right. And I was working on financing my own trucks and then found out that my business partner was stealing money from me and that whole thing dissolved. <laughs> Partnerships. Yeah. <laughs> that was my first, that was my first hard lesson in business is that you can't ever trust business partners. Oh, I, guess, I look back at Jake over here. <laughs> look at that smile. <laughs> some, of them, some of your partners become silent partners yeah. that you didn't know you had. Yeah. Right. So, you know, one of the challenges that, you know, this had to be back in shit, man. This had to be around 2011 when we mm. were doing this, 2010. And we saw, I mean, just a bunch of water hauling companies coming in. I mean, this is right at the beginning of the, the mm-hmm. shell boom out in West Texas, and it became very competitive on, you know, hourly pricing. Mm-hmm. Is this something that you guys are still dealing with up there? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. To me, the, the two things you got to keep an eye on, number one is competition, you know, because the guys that are, and there's some bigger guys getting in the business. You know, there's starting to be some, I wouldn't call them 800-pound gorillas, but at least 500-pound gorillas. Mm-hmm. And they're getting financed. So you got to keep an eye on that. And the second thing is oil prices. Mm-hmm. And don't get out too far over your skis so that when price is correct, you know, you're, you're sitting there with a 4 or $5 million capital investment and no, no income. But we have no debt. And so even if that were to happen, we, we, try to, we try to time it to where we go get our permits and we drill the well when, we, when we're pretty confident that we've, we've got a customer ready to come to us. Mm-hmm. So that's... 
How was that? You know, sorry not to veer off here, but yeah. uh, speaking of the permitting, you know, there's a lot of debate around permitting for saltwater disposals. I don't know about up up in Oklahoma, but I know in Texas it's happening. You know, how is the permitting process? Are you guys easily able to get permits or is it a is it a challenge right now? It changes monthly almost. <laughs> it really has a year ago, maybe six months. Yeah. And very few protests. I mean you get some. Yeah. Fast forward twelve months, it's six to twelve months out. You're going to get protested by everybody mm-hmm. because it's getting more competitive up there. Yeah. And so you'll have competitors protest, landowners protest. Mm-hmm. But that's that's also good because so, it helps keep so other walk, guys out. Let's walk through what protesting means mm-hmm. in that kind of that process. So you guys are going out and you're you're filing for a permit for mm-hmm. one of your new facilities. So you're saying that your competitors can protest that. And I did not know this in Oklahoma, but in Oklahoma, anybody can protest for any reason. <laughs> and it's a little different in taxes. You know, you got to have a reason and why. Yeah. And again, they can protest. And as you go through the process and you get on the docket with the OCC, the Oklahoma Corporation Commission, you know, you'll get it resolved. But it's still costly and time consuming. So you, you try to work as friendly as you can with your competitors for that reason. Do you guys actually go through the process of filing the permits or do you buy the permits from someone that develops them? Is that a thing to where people develop saltwater disposal permits and then sell them off? Yeah, that's what we do. Sometimes like we'll go out and well, case in point last year, we had about six permits that we got that we weren't getting used. You know, we were starting to focus our business in a different area. And so then they have value. So there's a business model in there. I don't know how scalable it is, mm-hmm. but, you know, they do that in the permitting a lot too. People go put in the time and the money, get yeah. permit approved, and then flip it for, for X, and they've got Y in it. I mean, sounds like a poor man real business estate. model to where, yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of this Wiggle goes back, a lot of it is very similar to real estate. You know, it's building an asset that produces income. Well, that's why yeah. I made the comparison like commercial real estate right. earlier because a midstream saltwater disposal play looks a lot more like a cash flowing commercial, you know, oh, apartment complex or something <clears throat> like that. So, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of synergy and comparisons between the two. And as people, as technology improves, just as we've seen over the last 10, 15 years, that people will be coming back in. You know, there's an old saying, if you want to find pecans, go look under pecan tree. If you want to find oil, go look in an oil field. Mm-hmm. And as technology improves, if you've got that infrastructure in place, there's good long-term value add there. Absolutely. As people continue to develop. Speaking, I mean, of, speaking of the infrastructure, if I heard you right earlier, you said that you're going to get less out of the trucking side and more into possibly laying infrastructure on the pipeline right. side to the facility. Is anybody doing that now? Yes. There are quite a few doing. As a matter of fact, you know, a lot of the larger, you know, Continental Marathon, Pioneer, and we could go down the list. A lot of those people are doing it internally mm-hmm. because it's necessary. I was going to say it's become a pretty common place for them to build out these big facilities on their leases internally, isn't it? They do, particularly down in the Permian. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a different animal down there. Yeah. Water is not as expensive up in Oklahoma mm-hmm. as it is, so it's really not economical to, to process it yet for third parties. Yeah. But- yeah, I, as again, or again, back to the beginning of our conversation, if you take a look at municipalities where we've come in the last hundred years from an outhouse, mm-hmm. literally, and having to go down to the river to get your water and bring it up, mm-hmm. now it's all piped and cleansed and reused. That's where the oil field's going. Mm-hmm. And, and we need to, because it's better for the environment. You use less f- fresh water, and it needs to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a lot of implications with, I mean, just look at the, uh, I don't know if you guys have spent any time out in West Texas, out in the Permian, but the traffic 
um, just from water haulers and, and sand haulers is horrific. Uh, just the traffic. My gosh, I remember in 15, we went out there to look at a deal. It was 88 bucks at the hotel. <laughs> went back about a year ago. 300. <laughs> it was 400 bucks if you could find it, if you could find a room. Well, me and my wife and actually got chased out of Midland because we were renting a house and this was 2013. And we were renting a house and the landlord's like, hey, you've got a month. We're selling the house. <laughs> like, We've got a month. My wife was eight months pregnant and oh, wow. you know, there was like a 99% occupancy rate in the apartments in town. So there was no one, nowhere to move to. And I was like, fuck this. Let's pack up our shit and just leave. And so we packed up a U-Haul. My wife was eight months pregnant. We moved down to South Texas to Victoria and then ended up coming up to Houston six months later. But yeah. I mean, it, the living costs, you know, even if you grew up there, it was just it's like, man, this place changed overnight. It seemed like well, you know, what's Permian producing now? Three and a, it's nearly at four million barrels a day, isn't it? It's three and a half. Let's just say a lot, and I think that'll cover it. <laughs> so it'd be like a fourth, shit ton. fourth largest producing country in the world. You yeah. know? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. And I was actually talking, it was last year, there was a uh, Permian produced water conference here in Houston. And I was filling in for a spot on Oil and Gas Global Network's HSC podcast, and we were talking about water and some of the stats that they said for water production over the next three to five years out of the Permian was mind-boggling. I was like, man, how are you going to handle this volume of water? You know, it was just so much. And, I mean, there's only so many SWD facilities, right, and so many permits to go around. That's exactly right. That's, That's entirely correct. So do you think, do you think like in the Permian, there could ever be a point where we're over capacity for water production? And at that point, you know, what would happen? Because <laughs> the, they're talking about the same thing with the pipelines too, about how we're, you know, you got this, what, $16 differential between what you're, what you're supposed to be selling it for just because there's no infrastructure. And right. so now they're building all of these new pipelines and everybody's saying that as soon as all these go online, there's going to be way too much capacity. Yeah. Well, you know, the same thing's happening to natural gas out there. There are negative contracts in the Permian right now, wow. meaning you pay the gas company yeah, to I've take your that. gas because you got to get rid of the oil. <laughs> yep. I mean, that, that's nuts. So we were that's just where we are. We were just talking about that on Twitter the other day because I'll get in a lot of verbal fights on Twitter <laughs> with people that have no fucking clue about oil and gas. And anyways, the conversation was talking about using natural gas to, instead of flaring it off, using it to power Bitcoin and cryptocurrency <laughs> mining out on leases. And some guy was like, this makes no sense economically. What do you mean? There's no way to get natural gas to the power grid. And so I had to go through there and yeah. explain to him. I'm like, look, we flare off a lot of gas because sometimes it doesn't make any money or even worse, you're paying the companies to, <laughs> to yeah. transport that gas for you. So because mm-hmm. a, a negative sum game and it's not really a, a winner for the EMPs. Indeed. Yeah. So, so you guys are on your third facility. You aren't taking out any debt, which is extremely impressive. You know, this is... I have a thing for commercial real estate, especially multifamily properties, big apartment complexes, you know, 300 units. And the thing is, when you finance those, if you have enough cash flow, you know you can survive any any storm, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, look, we've seen it time and time again in oil and gas companies going under. And what's the number one reason? They're over leveraged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. That's the reason every time is that they're over leveraged. And so that gives you guys a really unique ability to, no matter what happens to commodity prices, to production, activity, you guys will be able to weather the storm because you don't have to answer to any lenders. So that's. Precisely. So what is a what does a typical facility cost you guys? Because you know, when I used to think about saltwater disposal wells, I used to think about, you know, like these small like two tank battery SWDs, but now you look at them and I mean they're just massive facilities. So what does an average facility cost you guys to build? 
Well, that's kind of like asking what an average house cost. <laughs> yeah. now, are you in Manhattan or are you in yeah. Lubbock, Texas? And I was at 2,000 square feet or 10,000 yeah, square Yeah, a lot of variables that go into that for sure. I can talk a little bit about hours. So hours are permitted to 20,000 barrels a day. And so to, to drill the well, we go down to about 9,000 feet, stay out of the R-buckle, so you're on top of the R-buckle. And the drill the well and then put the facilities in, the permanent facilities in is going to run you up between 4 and $5 million. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking. Yeah, that's so you guys are doing 20,000 barrels a day and you go out there now. Like I asked, my buddy's dad owns, uh, fuck, what's, what's the company's name? I just forgot. It's one of the big SWD companies out in West Texas. Anyway, BJ? Yeah, there you go. And I asked him, I said, hey, do you guys uh, use triplex pumps out there? He's like, yeah, maybe if this was 2010. Yeah. And he started schooling me on horizontal pumps. H pumps, and, yeah. Yeah. And I assume you guys are running H pumps at Jell's mm-hmm. facilities. Seems like everyone is. You know, what other, are you guys, including new technology as far as sediment monitoring, you know, coming Absolutely. into there. And I've seen some pretty cool stuff in this space. I don't know a ton about it, but. The technology in this space is, is amazing how quick it's come. We literally, you were out at the field. You yeah. saw this. Yeah. Yeah. I was impressed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you literally can run these things fully automated. That's what I was going to say. There's a company up there. I think it's in Dallas. He's buddies with Kurt. That's got software to fully automate saltwater disposal facilities. I had lunch with him yesterday. <laughs> oil, oil business is a small business. Everyone knows everyone. Yeah, his name is Eric and the company is yes, Elite. So we'll give him a free plug. There, there you, you go. go. There you go, Eric. See, I didn't want to do that because I don't want my competitors using it. Because <laughs> I think we do have a competitive advantage, you know, yeah, partnering with Eric. Yeah, but I mean, it's literally to the point where a truck driver could come up, you know, plug in the system with kick back you know if his if his fluid's too dirty mm-hmm. if there's too much sediment in it and you know i mean i don't know what that does for the longevity of, of y'all's facilities but i'm sure that you know you're not tearing through pumps and, and valves right. and, and things like that so it's pretty it's, wild you know it's the the old commercial you can pay me now or pay me later mm-hmm. it's been a little more money up front because the big risk was this you're getting your water from the ground so you're just putting it right back where you got it from yeah or we're putting it back cleaner and the main reason for that is it's not to tear up your equipment mm-hmm. downhole pumps, filters, all that. Yeah. So you can monitor that and you literally on a daily basis just about can get, get pretty close to a PL. We can see live what's going on. We know how much chemicals going in. We know how much water is going in. We know how much skim oil we've gotten. And that's that's updated live constantly. That's, pretty, that's powerful. You know, Absolutely. just just think about it, you know, from like an EMP perspective. Like EMPs mm-hmm. don't have live updated P and Ls of their business model, so they don't even know if they're making money on a on a well yeah. in real time. But the fact that you can do this on a SWD is pretty impressive. Because mm-hmm. we know what we're gonna get for the water. Mm-hmm. It's contracted. And we know what our expenses are. There's you know, ninety percent of them are fixed. You got a little bit of variable on electricity, mm-hmm. something like that. But you know what it is, you know, and it's a you know, it's a high margin business. Yeah. If you if you can get the water. So what do you guys do with, you just mentioned what separates from the water. So you have the water, the chemicals, and, and the, any of the skim oil. Just so if people aren't familiar with SWDs, guys take the skim oil, sell it back to the market, I'm assuming. Right. Yeah. And so you make a little bit of money there. What about the chemicals? Chemicals are very two to three cents a barrel. So that's your cost per barrel. Okay. And it's, yeah. So what do you guys, what happens to those chemicals though? I mean, are they actually separated from the water when they're injected back uh, down or? I mean, you're going to, it's very, it's kind of like, you know, you're, whenever you frack, mm-hmm. it's 99% water. Yeah. You know, very, very little chemicals. Yeah, Same trace amounts of acids, yeah. Yeah. And it just cleans up the water and they offset each other and you, 
Okay. And again, the primary reason is so it doesn't mess up our downhole pumps or filters and all that. Okay. So I was thinking of this wrong. The chemicals are actually additives by you guys that you're adding. Okay. All right. I was thinking chemicals that came back, you know, in the produced water. I didn't know if, you know, the water came in with chemicals and you guys were separating that. No. When, so if you take a producer, they drill a well and there's two ways, two different types of water. One's called flowback and one's called produced. Mm -hmm. So your flowback water is the water that flows back after the fracking. Yeah. You know, in the Permian, you're going to be a couple of million barrels per frack. Up where we are, it's about half a million barrels. So when you drill the well and frack it, you're going to use about half a million barrels of fresh water. Well, that's going to come flowing back, and you better have your track shoes on because you, <laughs> you got to be moving that water and don't screw it up either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to be moving it. Then once you get all that flow back, they go into production. For every barrel of oil equivalent you produce, you're going to produce several barrels of water with mm-hmm. that. And then they'll bring it up and separate it on the surface, move the water to the water tanks, and either we'll come pick it up in a truck or we put it into the pipeline. And with that water, you're going to get skim oil. Mm-hmm. And so we separate that at the facility and make money on the oil as well. Awesome. Yeah. So how many operators do you guys typically run for one facility? I'm sure that's another loaded question with a lot of variables but i mean is it are you guys seeing you know like five operators are typically running to a facility well it depends like for example we're we're getting set up to take some flow back from one single customer and they've got 14 wells on one pad wow. it's going to be flown back so that's going to fill us up we'll be at capacity and they're yeah they're actually going to be going to three or four other facilities as well once you go into production, sure. it comes down. That's probably going to be a frustrating problem when you don't have enough capacity to take on a whole on a whole contract. Well, yeah, I mean that that's that's good. Yeah, you know, and we really look for quality. We're we're pretty very strategic, and mm-hmm. where we're going to put our disposal facilities and where we're going to file for permits. Yeah, from the quarterlies, public information, you can see five year budgets where they're going to put their money. If they are customers of ours, we'll enter into a. NDA and they'll share with us what their plan is mm-hmm. and, so we can work together. So we, we're very strategic in that. We're not out for a whole lot of quantity, yeah, but just quality. quality. So whenever we're ready to roll, it's, it's making money. Yeah. I mean, it's very much a geolocation play to, you know, mm-hmm. just having those SWDs in the right location. So how do you guys, you know, do you monitor or forecast where you think drilling activity is going to go? Do you look for where there already is a lot of current activity? Do you know mm-hmm. kind of what else? I know you don't probably want to give away the secret sauce, but you know, is it based more on projections or current activity? Both. But the simple answer is once you get established with some clients and you perform, they'll let you know where they're going. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you get the inside scoop from them. They'll, they'll let you yeah. know. <laughs> and then and on because the flip I mean, side of they, that. They, if, they need it, right? I mean, they need <clears throat> you to have the infrastructure up so that they absolutely. can drill and have no hiccups in their logistics of transporting that water. That's correct. And they do like to see multiple options. Mm-hmm. I mean, so when and there's a couple of, you know, half billion dollar back companies, billion back companies that have gone up to the stack scoop in the last year. Yeah. And we've heard from a couple of larger operators say, look, you know, we don't, we know what happens if they take the whole water market. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to control the water prices. Yeah. So as long as you guys can keep up with us, you know, we're, we're wanting to sell to one of those guys in two or three years. Yeah. Become that guy. Yeah. And yeah. so that's, that's positive and negative about having, you know, the 800 pound grill up there. But yeah, if you can perform, many of these operators will, will support you because they want another option. That's good. Yeah. I mean, it always kind of boils down to relationships in this business, right? Absolutely. You know, having good relationships with the companies and I mean, building a successful business off of that. Yes, sir. So talking about 
we're talking about tax benefits earlier before we started the podcast. And, you know, a lot of one of the big sells for investors to get into upstream oil and gas assets is obviously the tax benefits that you get from intangible, intangible drilling cost, your depletion tax credits, you know, things like that. Yeah. So, Paul, obviously your investors are interested in getting some tax breaks. This is what kind of got you chomping at the bit for saltwater disposals. You know, what kind of tax benefits are you guys seeing from this? You know, I wasn't familiar with tax benefits and saltwater disposals, so that definitely gets me excited. Yeah, I wasn't either. And, you know, the way I kind of, well, the way me and Jeff met is I was at a mentor group with a bunch of other advisors and I saw a guy that I hadn't seen in a while. It's a good friend of mine and was asking him, hey, what are you doing? What's going on? And he's like, oh, I'm doing some stuff in Texas. I was like, and he's at Ohio, right? And I was like, what are you doing in Texas? And he's like, oh, we're doing this water disposal. And I was like, what company? And he, he told me Epis Global Energy out of Dallas. And I'm like, I hadn't heard of those guys. Fort Worth. Nothing's <laughs> <laughs> the wrong with Dallas. Nothing's wrong with Dallas. <laughs> I used to live. It's all there. the same doing Ohio in, okay. right? Yeah. All right, it's close enough. <laughs> so I was like, you, and then he said, "Yeah, they're you know getting ten percent, and then they're getting a tax deduction." And I said, "You don't get tax deductions on on water disposal." I said, on the well, yeah, but not on water disposal. And he's like, I swear to God, we're getting that. And <laughs> so I'm like, dude, there's no way I would have known about this, you know? And so he's like, well, I'm going to put you in touch with him. So me and Jeff talked and he explained it to me and how it came out of the 2017 Jobs Act. Uh, and it's bonus depreciation. It's a good thing. And we've got it for a few more years, right? So so basically any, any you know, business can go out and buy cap or uh, buy equipment, you know, things to grow their business. Mm -hmm. Whereas you used to have to depreciate that over about a 20 year period. Trump says we can do it in the first year, right? Yeah. I mean, that happened in the upstream space too, right? So, I mean, uh, essentially if you're drilling a well, a hundred percent of your intangible, your Mm -hmm. IDCs become a write-off. I think it was it like 80, 80% 80 before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So for, you know, somebody that doesn't own a business, but you have income and assets and, you can partner with, you know, guys like us and be able to get that tax deduction and get the decent return, you know. Awesome. Now, you don't get, the, you know, obviously in oil, you know, if you hit that winner, you're going to be, you're going to have a big, big return. Yeah, but, but I mean, that, that boils back down to high risk, high return, mm-hmm. right? You know, right. Uh, high reward, but, you know, it's not always <laughs> high reward. Yeah, but most of our clients are are older and they don't want to take that kind of risk and they're, they're happy with They're the, looking for steady, ste- steady cash flow, mm-hmm. you know. Can and one guys, thing I do want to say, what, it was a 2017, you know, tax bill that came out. The Jobs Act was a 506C. So the 2017, mm-hmm. that tax bill that passed, it was a bonus depreciation. Yeah, yeah. So what's cool is what some of the strategies that people can implement because they have that, right? So think about this. Somebody's got an IRA, right? And we're some of the lowest tax rates. They think tax rates are going up. They want to do a Roth conversion, mm-hmm. right? Now they can offset that entire tax bill and move over to a Roth, and have Roth income, right? Mm-hmm. Tax free. So that's one of the deterrents for a lot of people to convert to a Roth is they got to pay all the, the taxes up front, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now we have an option, which before we might have used oil and gas, but that's pretty high risk, right? Mm-hmm. Now we have this option, which is low risk and much lower risk than oil and gas and, and with the same or close to the same deduction. And you can move a lot of that money and offset. You know? Awesome. Yeah, if you're listening to this and you want to get some tax benefits and make some money, hit up Paul. He's the man when it comes to structuring <laughs> well, stuff also, like this. So. <laughs> one, of the, one of the number one questions we get all the time is, hey, you guys are in Wells. How, how can we take that first step into either you know, either participating in investments or becoming an operator or doing something on the non-op side? This is, a, this is a great way to get in. 
Yeah, you know, absolutely. Get into oil deals, get into some water deals, kind of get your feet wet with some things. Allow these guys to kind of educate you and school you on kind of the ins and outs. That's a that's a great first step without making the... What kind of, you know, not, not specific to y'all's three facilities, and obviously I know you guys have to be careful on what you, what you claim for returns, but just generally over the, over the industry for saltwater disposal, what are some typical returns? You know, I mean, if you look at apartment complexes, commercial real estate complexes, people know that, you know, hey, we can get a 15% return. Is there any kind of standard for that for SWD facilities? An SWD facility should run 30 to 40% margins, mm. you know, and then, yeah. and then of course, What's your corporate expense? Do you have a cost of capital? Yeah. You know, do you have debt? And so it's kind of all over the board. But the way we structure our deal, it's really, since we're not taking debt, we're not using private equity, and we're not using Wall Street, just the fees that we save. Yeah, absolutely. Just the fees, expenses, not counting the headache, there's plenty there to really, the way we treat our investors is they're preferred. They've got a preferred status to us as a managing general partner. So they get paid first. We make ten percent distribution, and that pays monthly, and it starts paying immediate because we we put that money to work, mm-hmm. cash flow enough at the asset to yeah one asset to cover the ten percent on multiple assets, and then upon exit they also get paid first. They get one hundred and ten percent back, and then we get everything over that. I'm I'm wow. happy taking the risk. I'm comfortable taking the risk. Yeah, and if we're right, then you know we let the investor save a lot of tax dollars. Yeah, and make a nice yield. I don't think people realize how much your capital gets destroyed by fees and middlemen, you know, oh, when it comes God. to That's investing. why he did it that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. I mean, it's well, just, just the reporting and everything else that you got to do is can. Yeah. I mean, this, this is a problem that I talk about in upstream oil and gas assets. You know, this is a, a very tough market right now mm-hmm. and just the entire capital structure is broken and there has, you know, don't get me started on this, but whether it, whether it's oil and gas, midstream assets, commercial real estate, the amount of fees that you can pay will just destroy capital. I mean, even you know this uh, just through if you're going through a brokerage fund, you know, uh, doing a retirement account, fees, yeah, yeah, you know, it'll kill you. And so, getting access, you know, from investors being able to directly access investments or assets is extremely important. Yeah, yeah. and that's our that's our long term goal too. Is the negative to that is it's taking us longer to raise our capital. Yeah, you know, you absolutely. don't can't go get two hundred million and put it to work. Yeah, but the positive is is that if we perform and if we're able to execute well, then we're looking to grow that base. And so I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not going to stop working. I was bored to death <laughs> in twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. My wife yeah. will tell you I was I was horrible. Would you do just fish the whole time? No, I see that's the thing. I don't have that many hobbies. Yeah. I like to work. You know, we're we're right there with you, man. That's the tough vacation. Like retirement, I can't even can't ever fucking retire. What I do with myself? Exactly. (laughs) Making money is fun. Yeah. (laughs) And and I'm all sincere. All sincerity. Making other people money is fun. Absolutely. Just like building building things. You know, building things and 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 creating wealth for people. Yeah. If you have that following, if you. If your investors have made money with you, they're going to stick with you and they're going to go Absolutely. on to the next deal with you. Absolutely. You know? And when you have that backing, there's nothing that can really stop you. You have access to capital now and, and the next good deal that comes along, you get your folks together and, you know, crank up the next thing. You yeah. Know? And, 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 tell me about the pirate analogy. About the pirate analogy? Yeah, about being an entrepreneur. Yeah. So I read this <laughs> I read this article from, I think his name is Michael Arrington, and he wrote it on TechCrunch. The article is like nine years old. 
and his pirate analogy was that he compares entrepreneurs to pirates. Mm. And he said, the, the reason he does, he said, he said, you look at pirates, you know, back in the 1600s, 1700s, whenever pirates, you know, were running rampant, he's like, it probably wasn't that lucrative. You know, how many times did you, you know, hit a big loot and, you know, rob a big ship? He said, but the risk was pretty high. Like you're going to get, you know, you're going to get executed or you're going to get killed out at sea. You know, there, there was just this outweighted risk Huge. compared to the reward. <laughs> he said, that's why I compare entrepreneurs to <laughs> pirates he said because very few entrepreneurs actually make it and make any money but entrepreneurs no. don't give a fuck about the risk or the reward we just do it because we thoroughly enjoy in your the, blood the, yeah the adventure so the, yeah the highs and I, the lows yeah yeah you know you gotta you just enjoy the process right and that's that's how it is for me at least personally speaking you know i obviously i'm in business to to make money but that's not my end goal i just like the journey along the way amen I, I concur. You know, one other thing too about using the individual investors is if you do go out and get some of the, we'll call it private equity, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Here's 200 million. Clock starts ticking. Yeah. You got to deploy capital. And you, yep. and that, that can cause people to shortcut the process and buy assets. Maybe they shouldn't buy too. It forces you into bad decisions. hundred percent. It does. Yeah. Because if you don't get the rate of return, your equity's knocked out. Yeah. No I, time I just want to tell you how much I love your business model because I've been talking about this for years. I'm like, man, all these companies go out and either, you know, they get private equity backed or they're taking out, you know, huge RBLs and, or maybe they're public. You know, I yep. used to, I used to hate working for Pioneer Natural Resources when I was running wireline for them because they'd be like, Hey, Get out here. We got to get this well on online by midnight so that it can go on our quarterly reports for right. earnings. And yeah. I'm like, man, this isn't the yeah. way that things should operate. And I was like, what if you just started an oil company where it was just privately funded? You know, you wouldn't be able to scale as fast as some of the other companies. Mm -hmm. But say you build a hundred million dollar company and it's privately owned. I mean, that's a good asset compared yeah. to the mm -hmm. the billion dollar company that's over leveraged and it's going to go bankrupt <laughs> in the next downturn. Yeah, you know, we and we were talking about that, Paul. Yeah. Is take the stress level away. Mm -hmm. and and everything else that goes with it and you can make just as much money being yep. a, a much smaller private company yep. as you can a large publicly traded company yeah i have a friend that started a pump company and he told me the same exact thing he said when i was able to buy out my my investor he said my company took off it just grew because yep. i didn't have that pressure of mm -hmm. someone looking over my shoulder and I could grow it the way I wanted to grow it. And then obviously he owned hundred percent of it and it worked out really well for him on his exit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, just wanted to say that I really like what you guys are doing with that. And as an investor too, you know, that makes, that make me more comfortable to know that you guys don't have the pressure or the risk of being over leveraged that the assets fully funded. And as long as it's operating, it's performing. I mean, if yeah. you look at the, uh, you know, all the baby boomers moving into retirement, we've got the largest transfer of wealth taking place over probably the next 20 to 25 years, mm -hmm. right? That capital has to be, go someplace. A lot of it's going to be just sitting in the market. Yeah. And we don't need all of that money. We only need a piece to, to make these things happen, right? Absolutely. A, yeah. A piece from good quality, you know, people yep. that, that want to partner and, and, partner with entrepreneurs and pretty much everybody that I've always partnered with, they've built companies before, right? They yeah. are true entrepreneurs. They've had exits in the hundreds of millions and why not, you know, ride the coattails of who's somebody who's already made all the mistakes and knows what to do, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so when you listen to Jeff's story and some of the other entrepreneurs that I've worked with, our investors have done very well, you know, and it's uh, that option, just most people never get to even see it. Mm -hmm. It's funny, the, the SEC came out with a stat the other day that I saw in 2018, 2.9 trillion was raised in the private markets, capital raise. 
and only 1.9 was in the public. So really? <laughs> a trillion dollar delta. So why is that? Well, because nobody wants to lose money. <laughs> I mean, you still lose, there's still risk in these types of investments, but you don't have the ups and downs. And but I think the I think the Jobs Act was so important too for you know just private placements and crowdfunding to allow access for you know operators and investors to yep. make this connection and get that access to alternative investments. It was a game changer. Yep. It's a game changer. And I think that they're seeing what yeah. it's doing and, you know, that's just going to keep evolving into new regulation that allows they're actually, less restrictions. Uh, yeah, the SEC right now is taking comments right right now on changing the rules on accredited, being an accredited investor. And they fucking should, man. Absolutely. <laughs> Dude, look, the oil, the oil and gas industry is full of guys that make, you know, $150,000 salaries. They have discretionary income to invest. Mm-hmm. But right now, their only their only route to invest is through public markets, you know, mm-hmm. through some ETF or right. And you know, the, the just the accredited investor parameters are so antiquated. Yeah, because you, you could have a guy that makes one fifty that has eight hundred thousand in the bank, and technically he's excluded. But yep. he's bought stock, he's bought real estate, he's done these other deals. But he's excluded from these because the yeah. SEC thinks he's not yeah. smart. Yeah, he doesn't. Right. He doesn't have a million million dollars net <laughs> yeah. worth, you know, or liquid net worth, excluding his house. And, right. But that's not necessarily an indicator of investment knowledge. No. Well, so. and, and you got the and flip side of that too. You got some people that inherit ten million dollars and they can't pour piss out of a boot. <laughs> they they can you know? yeah. right. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm saying. Like you, your net worth's not an indicator of knowledge or expertise yeah. in any subject. So yeah, hopefully, I think the Jobs Act was extremely important, and I think that we're starting to see a lot of pressure being put on the SEC to like, hey, let's let's update these accredited mm-hmm. laws. To, yeah, because I mean, if you think about it, the whole accredited investor thing just plays into the the rich get richer. Exactly. Right? And the little guy doesn't get to do the the good deal. That's what I always. That's what I always. That's that's why I always laugh at the, the accreditation laws because they're there to protect the little guy. So I'm like, okay, so you're protecting the little guy. The little guy has to go put his money out in the public market where he's going to get slaughtered. Yeah, while pay the, huge while, fees. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. While the rich guy gets access to the, the good alternative deals. Mm-hmm. And how's that protecting yeah. the little guy? I'll give guy? you an example. Like, you know, one of the ways people can invest is through self-directed IRAs, right? Mm-hmm. There are no asset fees in self-directed IRAs. So when we get a rollover from like a million dollar client, where they're maybe at a Fidelity or one of the big firms, they may be paying a 1% fee or 10 grand a year for that portfolio, right? That's yep. what's going to the advisors and things like that. Whereas at a self-directed IRA, you basically take on the responsibility of managing that account yourself, right? So now you're the custodian or not the custodian, but you're the manager of your investor investment account for your IRA. So the custodian now, your fees go from 10000 a year to 275 a year. So just by that one move, client saves nine thousand bucks a year, yeah. or or more, right? And now now they're in a position where they can take some and put it in real estate. They can take some and put it in actual cash know. flow and now, assets. Yeah. You don't get the deductions when you use qualified money to do these types of investments, but a lot of people don't care. They'll just say, "I want the account to grow." Yeah, know? exactly. So, yeah. So you have two ways, but the the self directed IRA is is one of the best things out there, I think, that where people can actually take control of their yeah. their finances and not put it in, in Wall Street's hands. And Absolutely. You know. that's, that's the name of the game for me. So, yep. <laughs> All right, yep. guys. So before we wrap this up, 
Where can people find you? So if you're listening and you're interested in investing in SWDs, you can either reach out to Jeff directly, reach out to Paul Nick. Obviously, Paul Nick does a lot of self-directed IRAs. So if you have an old retirement account that you want to roll over, Paul's the guy to talk to. Where can they find you both? Are you are you on LinkedIn? Are you yeah. online? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. And I also have the group Houston Energy Corridor Connections on LinkedIn. We're about 12,000 members. Oh, nice. Yeah, I forgot um, about that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that. we're getting that thing back back up. We LinkedIn changed a bunch of rules. And yeah. so we can't market to our folks. So I got some guys working on that. My, cool. But my email is pauljnick at gmail. Okay. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah, well, we'll put that in the show notes. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn as well. All right. Jeff at epusenergy.com. Perfect. Or www.epusenergy.com. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So if you guys are listening and you want to reach out to either one of them, feel free to send them a message. They're both swell guys. Good guys to talk to. Good yeah. friends. So, all right, guys. Appreciate y'all coming on the show. Appreciate looking, you guys. Looking forward to hearing, hearing what's going on next time around. So, yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks. All right, guys. If you want to connect with Jeff or with Paul, just look down in the show notes. We'll put some information down there. Also, if you have any water you want to dispose of, these yeah. are your guys. Let's not, <laughs> let's not forget about that. So we really enjoyed this conversation today. This is a little bit uh, different from what we normally do, but still kind of on track. If you guys like the show, please take two seconds to leave us a rating and review, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Come, 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 come. Thank you.